Hello, welcome to Flow with Flow, a new podcast all about contemporary dance. I'm in training and I thought a podcast would be a really good excuse to chat some leading choreographers, performers and everybody. to Flockfest on Instagram and buy a ticket for the event Counting Sheep which was at 6.30 on the 1st of April. It's pay as you feel and it's going to be really 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 good because I've organised it so be there or be square. Bye. Hi. Hey. How are you doing? Today we are speaking to Theo Clinkard, the one and only. Theo Clinkard. Oh my gosh, that's actually, I, I knew I had a note for myself last time I was trying to edit it and I just like, honestly, the amount I had to edit out because I just kept fucking singing. And I don't know if it was like a nervous response or I just have that pop star in me. I mean, I don't want to say that for sure, you know, but it kind of sounded all right. If I'm honest, it sounded kind of good actually. So today I'm speaking to, oh, I, oh my god, genuine, what's wrong with me? That sounded like it was on purpose, but I actually promise it wasn't. Something just comes over me. I'm not, I'm not lying. If you say I'm lying, then you say I'm lying, then, then you're, then you're, then you're a liar. I don't like you for that. Okay, today I'm speaking to Theo, take the piss, take the piss. Okay. Today we're speaking to Theo Clinkard, the one and only Theo Clinkard, the main man, Theo Clinkard. I'm pretty excited. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty excited. I'm feeling buzzing. If I sing once in this actual podcast, I'm gonna, I don't know, like I'll just never do one again, I guess. Ah, Theo Clinkard in the waiting room, enter. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Thank you for waiting for me. I was just um we went and jumped in the river and then I was a bit like, quick, we've got to eat. I've got to do a podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Honestly, jumping in the river is worth it. Also, I can't really complain. I'm just sitting here with my cup of tea. So <laughs> Okay, good. Didn't cost me too much, don't worry. You're in Devon? You jumped in the river in Devon? Yeah, the River Dart. I'm down in Ashburn. Lovely. Nice. I grew up um, in Ditcham. Ditcham, yes. I yeah. can't quite place it, but I know it's near here, right? It's I was probably 15 minutes from Ashburton, oh, close to Tottenham. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, I grew up half there with my grandparents. Yeah, so I know the area. Yeah. I know the dark. <laughs> yeah. Really cold at this time of year. Bloody cold, I tell you very brave of you yeah I met someone who must be maybe I said this before in your year or Fleur Hetherington Fleur, yes Fleur is my housemate she's actually in the year below me yeah no way oh, yeah no way. She, we live together oh, yeah proper west country massive love that uh, yeah real uh, northern kind of is at the moment is it yeah it's a bit of a as it should be though everywhere should yeah, be I know always <laughs> so many dancers come from the southwest I'm always like I know I'm so proud of so you today, what have you been up to today? What are you working on at the moment? 
Yeah, well, I woke up to a really sunny morning and I was like, bring it on. I'm ready for spring. It's been, yeah, it's proper sunny today. So I went to jump in the River Dart, which just like sorts out the immune system, but also like all the feel good chemicals. I feel like I, I say, I mean, I use the word swim, but I mean, like jump in, jump out as quick as you can and kind of like yell. Um, but I just find it a really good mood lift, you know, getting bogged down with computer stuff, which is so much of my life at the moment emailing catch-ups and stuff so uh that and then other than that just a zoom to plan for a show which has been announced today which is um for manchester international festival that i'm both doing movement direction on and costume which i've never done before for someone else yeah i'm excited for the challenge of like running both kind of areas or roles on nice so you've got a couple pieces going at the moment yeah i've got i've just come back from copenhagen i did choreography on an opera there aida um which premiered week before last um that's still performing so that runs in their repertoire for a few weeks or months i think um but i came back so once the creative team have kind of created the show you don't necessarily hang around um but yeah lovely time in copenhagen great city lovely dancers i felt really proud like being in an opera context and going dancers are so like patient hardworking, lo loving loyal generous like diligent like they were just I felt proud of them and proud of the art form I was like you work we're brought into such an ensemble thinking and there's no real hierarchy at least in the area that I'm in I suppose in contemporary dance it's really like muck in and get on with it get the job done and yeah I think they just really excelled and I was so proud of them and what we've made together yeah beautiful can you run us through a little bit of the inspiration and then the process of what that making was like? So, yeah, I've been working with Annabelle Arden, who's the director, and she was a founder of Complicity, along with Simon McBurney, which is quite a, um important company in terms of devised theatre and visual theatre in, in the UK. So she was a founder member of that, and then she moved into kind of directing. As part of that, she's done opera directing, so we worked together at Leeds Opera North 2000, uh, 2017 on an opera. And then this is the second one we worked on together. So kind of a year of meetings on and off in London, planning and conceiving the work. And she came to me with this idea that I wonder if Aida, the lead role, has a double. Like maybe there's a little girl or maybe there's some way of... Um, getting at her kind of inner inner world and I was like well how about a flock of Aida's so that we have four dancers so there's a kind of team of five who kind of embody or represent her on stage so that when she's singing about her emotional turmoil if you like there's four people there that can embody that and physicalize that so often with opera because it's so technical the singing the singers need to be very focused on the conductor and there's not massive scope for them to be like leaping around the stage. So this was a way to kind of like flex my um, art form and contribution to the kind of whole world of the piece. Um, so yeah, when, when, when she's like uh, a bit like, I think of it like demons in um, dark materials. Oh my gosh. I love dark materials. It's so good. So good. I mean, I read the books years ago and loved them and loved Lyra. And I was like, strong female lead. Harry Potter, Potter like, I don't give a shit, but like, give me Lyra. Honestly, Harry Potter is, he is nobody compared to Lyra. <laughs> yes. 
Philip Pullman as opposed to J.K. Rowling any day as well, of course. Oh my gosh, not any day, every day, all day, every day. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the dancers act a little bit like her Aida's demons. So, you know, if if you think about Mrs. Coulter, like, raging storm inside of her that would be the monkey like really exposing and physicalizing that um kind of rage wouldn't it so the dancers had that kind of role and we developed a language which is quite kind of poetic for them so kind of big large stage kind of language also so they existed outside of a kind of realism of the protagonists so they were almost like in a not a Martha Graham piece, but they did have like kind of long shift dresses, a bit Pina Bausch. We did, we ended up there, didn't kind of wasn't planned like that, but yeah, sometimes it feels a bit like Rite of Spring or something. Nice. So, do you think your sort of your process and inspiration for pieces shifts a lot with each choreography, especially process? I guess a lot of choreographers sort of stick to one. Well, this has been, I suppose, the last company piece I made really it was like 2017 so in the time since there's been lots of change but also a bit more working on other people's productions so coming in as a movement director or choreographer so the world of that show Aida in Copenhagen wasn't really one that I was conceiving from scratch so there's a kind of element of like I you know in brackets I wouldn't do that but this is not my work so within the parameters that are set up how can I find my voice and hold strong to what feels authentic to me and has integrity, but is within the work of someone else, the umbrella of their work. Um, something I did a uh, year before last was work on Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which is a film with Emma Thompson, um, directed by some friends of mine from Australia. So again, it's like coming in, working quite quickly with the performers and developing a movement score or a language or an understanding of the body that they could um, work within the film so I guess I've been a bit dipping into different kind of other contexts that are not like commissioned choreographic works or my own company projects um, and each time it's de- I guess developing yeah the the not rules but like what's important in this work what do we want dance to do what do we want how do we want the dance to work differently or in complement to other aspects of their performing their singing or their acting so it's developing a language and uh, a common approach, I suppose. Um, and sometimes throwing up things that that director wouldn't necessarily knew, know that dance could do, I suppose. So that there's certain understandings with dancers um, shorthand, I guess, that sometimes I need to push a director to go, there's another way of doing this, which is like, I just say this and then you'll see what happens and those, you know, to, in a way, recognizing that dancers all have their own imagination and are developing their own physical practices and can bring that to a work so I don't need to like choreograph steps necessarily for something to be um uh exercised on stage it can just be a bit of information those dancers can take and fly with and then you see kind of theater directors like oh my god like giving that permission and giving that license and registering the dancer as an artist in their own right actually includes lots of imaginations it doesn't funnel through the one kind of movement director or this director so yeah that kind of play and capacity and self-responsibility that dancers have whereas singers might be a bit more like until you show me what to do I won't know but I'm always trying to work in a similarly kind of improvisational way with actors or singers so you've worked on films you've worked with costume 
dance, pretty multi-medium, a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. How um how did you get into that? How did you get into the design side of it? Because they're quite uh, separate things. Yeah. I, I always think about being a kid and before or whilst I discovered dance, I was also making puppets and masks and not so much clothes, but like making with my hands. Um, I would normally be like in the corner just getting on with making something like as a kid. It wasn't um, wasn't always leaping around. You know, some people have got that ex excess energy they're burning off. I wasn't really like that, I don't think. But um, went to the theatre and saw, you know, a massive Sleeping Beauty production, Birmingham Royal Ballet or Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet, as it would have been called at the time. You know, and just was like, whoa, imagination expanded. Um, and it also really related to to my own book, which was The Thorn Rose that I had as a kid, which is a, a version of Sleeping Beauty. So it was almost like my picture book came to life. So there was that kind of like theatrical introduction. But then and through that, this was kind of directed towards once a week ballet, um, but also was, you know, expressively dancing at home to music. Um, but sorry, that's a kind of just a bit of a kind of prelude. So then going through dance training, I was working with Matthew Bourne at the time and between contracts had, you know, a couple of months off and started to make again, kind of like flex that kind of hobby, hobby bit um, with my spare time. And my ex-partner bought me a sewing machine. This is about 2000. And I just started making or copying clothes that I had wearing the things I remember I had a large bit of I guess felted boiled wool fabric that I was wearing as a cape in like 99 and by 2000 it was a jacket I say jacket like my first jacket you know like barely something with sleeves um, so then friends asked me to make stuff for them and I kind of agreed to a few like one-off gigs and then that kind of built a bit you know, often with contemporary dance, it's you're making stuff for your friends and it might be a bit more like styling or like not necessarily making from scratch. But ultimately, it was like real playtime. And to get money for that just felt like outrageous because it was like really such a pleasure. And then slowly that built up. Um, there was a really key point where I was asked to come in and remake, um, redesign a show for a rep company. And um made these costumes and sent them off on tour and I was like oh my god I know that they're not really gonna last <laughs> like I'm not used to that kind of like rigorous durable costume making and I think that was a turning point for me like I need to either work with makers and um make sure things can withstand what dance um requires and then I got kind of scooped up a bit there's a director called Stuart Lang who does theatre and opera directing and he's a designer so when he takes jobs where he needs to direct as well as do set design, he used to bring me in as a costume designer. So I went from working quite small scale British dance to de uh, designing an opera in Sweden with like 16 dressmakers and tailors and seamstresses and like kind of free reign because it was such an imaginative show where you imagined it was a, kind of had a fashion show within the opera, for example. So I just got to like really like think big and make it happen which was that sounds incredible it really was it was kind of dream job and dream budget um and it was really help you know supported with I think I was thinking I either go in here like terrified and pretend I know what I'm doing or terrified 
and admit it. And I just went in there like, you're a corset maker, you know about corsets. How do I work with you and open up this quest together of like, what could this be? And let's dream, dream it. And you could see these kind of people who were not normally invited to offer their thoughts in that creative way, kind of slowly trusting that I really meant it and wanted to hear and then really, yeah, working collaboratively like I would with dancers, I suppose, making these garments um, come to life. So I was really very lucky with that kind of mentorship from Stuart and then the support of those makers who, yeah, appreciated the invite to play together, I suppose, to collaborate. It's interesting. I find costume personally is such a big, important part of performance. I think it adds so much. And I know that's like, you know, you should always rely on your movement rather than what you're adding to it. Yeah. But costume is probably one of the most enjoyable bits for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, I think it's where the, the piece really, like, you you see it or you really don't and you're back to the board. But, I mean, would you say for your work, it, your design's, like, uh, super important, even even level or... Is it sort of definitely a side afterthought? I've worked in lots of different ways with different pieces. So I'm thinking about designing other people's work, designing my own work, um, including wanting costumes to not be noticed, you know, like really not necessarily norm core, but a little bit of that vibe. It's like, oh, I really want the music or the movement to kind of speak loudest. Therefore, I need to turn the volume down the costume or vice versa. Um, so it really depends on the, the concept and how that manifests through the body, through the garments, how they're worn, what materials, like there's just so much at play in a way. But I really agree with you that it's such an important aspect, especially if you don't have language, like if your work is not using text, then you're really reliant on the visual medium to storytell. And, you know, it might be the most abstract thing, but somehow information is stored in all those and I think about this, like it's stored in obviously the sound score, the information of the body, the setup, the relationship to audience, even duration and time of day, who is performing, the casting. I think of all these things as being holding massive amounts of information. So to be really mindful or not to start from any assumption of that any of those things already exist. It's like if you've got a blank slate, what does this idea require rather than, you know, we know we want to make that's the difficulty with commissioned work it's like here's your seven dancers it needs to be end on performance it needs to be 20 minutes quite likely there's a theme and you're like oh my god all the fun stuff you know all the stuff which is not like what is the body doing what is the physical content is all the stuff i love playing with the most like i really start with that like i start with where do we find this piece of what time of day what kind of venue what kind of the politics of this venue oh it's a theater oh, it's a big standardized theater commercially run or it's like we're in a village hall, you know, because already influencing the watching and the invite to an audience. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just, I love playing with the kind of visual field, but I don't necessarily start with costume. I have been in situations where I'm making a work and I'm like, I have no idea how to, to costume or dress this. Um, there's no one one rule. Like if I go into one example, then it's like, <laughs> just one. Um there's a hundred ways to go at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And sometimes it comes very late. Sometimes it's like from the beginning. Do you ever find, maybe this is just um, something I struggle with, but do you ever find it hard to, especially with costume, 
focus on what you're saying rather than just the aesthetic because sometimes I go to to explain a piece this is what would help the most and then it's like oh that looks so cool though it's like no <laughs> back to back to where we are that's the same with movement it's like oh, I love this phrase this move I love really sexy slick whatever it is and you're like so attached to it but it's like doing nothing the idea of the piece you know and then it's maybe sometimes that's about then getting feedback like what does somebody read um but also being brave to go that maybe belongs somewhere else or I've shoplifted that move from some other piece that I saw and always wanted to give it a go like to be brave to go does it belong you know I think that filter that I mean I think of process I suppose I think of this more choreographically but it could work with design as well like there's the dream space of like everything right now it can be every, like potentiality like keep everything up in the air space for all questions um let everything be in the room and then a later stage which is a bit more like an editor of going okay so what if things have to kind of fight for their place you know what still earns its role in this work and what confuses that message and I I'm you know I say all of this like I'm still freaking you know of course figuring all of that out and it always changes the terms of that changes on every creation so it's not like you arrive at like I've nailed it unless you can keep remaking the same piece which I would argue many people do <laughs> but um like yeah what belongs and how brave can you be to commit to your idea so I think that my risk has been like I want every piece to have everything in it you know like mm -hmm. where everyone's like flying around and showing that they can really dance and then but also want to be moved and I want to find it funny and I want to be you know like maybe this piece like to to trust that that piece can be that piece and that if you project imagine a body of work that's just one part of a body of works rather than every piece has got to have every freaking ingredient in it I read this quote if I can, I'm really paraphrasing if you want a piece to have everything in it the problem is you've got a piece with everything in it everything in it, it feels really good in the room and you're like this is like ticking all these boxes of your desire to see and watch but then when you witness that work it's like everything belongs and like what what are the choices of that artist you know what you can't have everything in every piece sometimes you have to pinpoint yeah and the more specific people don't I mean I find like I really remember the shows with someone super specific like they really commit to that one thing and they don't attend they don't appeal to my viewership like they trust that I can be curious about that really monotonous move and I sit there as an audience member going like for fuck's sake do something different but actually in retrospect you're like I can't stop thinking about that bravery and integrity and authenticity and commitment to an idea um yeah I think I find it really compelling so you're working basically all around the shop everywhere and living in pretty rural Devon. Yeah, moved here about a year and a half ago. It's like on the edge of, well, Mount Ashburton is technically a village in Devon, um, yeah. the edge of that. So I'm like surrounded by fields, which is like. Yeah, it, I wouldn't say it's like the usual place for a, for a dance artist. No, and I think that I'm in a really privileged position for having, well, I just waited, I suppose, like built a network and have traveled around a lot and then, and I'm 45 now, so I'm no, like, whippersnapper. But, like, then making that kind of leap later on, um, my my work is usually away from here. So it'll be, like, I've just done two months in Copenhagen, but now I'm back for a month, and the next job is a little bit in London, and then I'm back for a few weeks, and then the 
then a bit in Manchester. So it's like, it's a way, I'm not often working here, but I'm trying to develop my own projects, um, company projects to kind of rehearse and work down here between organizations like Ashburn Art Centre, which is just down the road, um, which is a brilliant community-run, community-owned ex-Methodist chapel with a great studio. And they've got a gig on pretty much every night, like a really buzzing art centre. And then like Theatre Royal Plymouth. Um, so kind of working with them on my next project, along with Saddlers Wells and some other organisations. So there's a kind of like anchor, larger scale dance venue down here as well that are really... Yeah, that's amazing. I would love in the future one day to have a base in the countryside and then work in all these amazing places yeah I mean it feels extraordinarily good to also to think of home as being somewhere you where you drop down and ground yourself rather I don't need to be around loads of like buzzy bars and stuff um and then I've got a kind of social aspect I mean there's a kind of community of sorts down here of different artists and various rural queers that are good mates and then working away and I guess being saturated by a lot of people and holding space for like whatever 75 opera singers two weeks ago and then suddenly you drop back here and it's like oh cheap <laughs> oh the river beautiful you know like it's a shock but um I quite like that the drama of the contrast we love the drama always bring drama yeah. and then with zoom you know so it's so much more we're it's not this more possible. We're just much more practiced at kind of having conversations which would set up work elsewhere, you know, yeah. and planning things with artists who are elsewhere. No, it's brilliant. You can do a lot from home. Yeah. Um, which is lovely. It's also good for me to know because I've spent so much time in Devon thinking there was nothing. Yeah. And seeing there's a bit of a dance world is, is good to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a bit of a dream for a, website down here which would be if you imagine a website which is like a map of Devon and Cornwall and then load of dots on it and you basically each dot then opens up a page which is like a workshop or a performance um different levels you know professional non-professional but we've got that we have a kind of visual field map of the area the region because it's not city based down here so I think rural areas it needs a different kind of approach to disseminate information to kind of network with different artists that'd be amazing yeah the other day I was imagining that the dots get bigger and bigger like the closer it comes to state so you know like what's priority yeah it's like the night before it's just your entire screen's taken up yeah everyone go to Exeter this is happening uh, but it could also be lift chairs you know you might have a kind of second column which is like who else is going and how you might coordinate that um feels quite energized that idea and proposed it recently meeting um but it's a bit of a full-time job and needs administrating and needs money which is always the kind of thing isn't it yeah ban money boo yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. just refuse <laughs> just forage yeah exactly we live in devon it's fine it's low sweet <laughs> i found some acorns today that might have yeah. plenty who needs more than that <laughs> No, that would be that would be absolutely brilliant because I think especially when you're growing up in such a rural area, it can feel slightly prospectless. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm using it. Um, you know, everything's a long way, especially as um, I'm lucky enough that I got lifts places when I was little and could my parents could pay for the train fare to go places. But if you're rural and you don't have 
you don't have that you there's 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 no chance if I didn't have someone else paying for my train fare I couldn't have started to dance and I think rural kids should have that opportunity it's a really good way to go about it same here I went away well slightly different but I went away to ballet school at 11 but that was because I was able to get a what's the word discretionary grant Mm -hmm. so you know my family couldn't have afforded that but actually there was support there these kind of grants that were accessible which aren't anymore Um, so it's only because of that that I was able to you know get some kind of full-time training but I mean I understand I was just at the cat scheme in Exeter the other day and I think depending on yeah your family's income you have access to different kinds of support um lots of lots of um, people at cat can do it for free yeah just go and you can have uh per dms and things which is great I think that yeah it's opportunities that should would be a nice like website to have all of those shown in one place yeah. you know what I mean yeah and to kind of realize you're not, not alone um yeah like similarly I was in Cornwall doing ballet as a kid and kind of going yeah what else is around but what I did have the there was 12 this is like what 80 mid 80s um 12 boys in the local ballet school like a tiny hamlet of a village but with like so many boys doing club doing class so it was very normalized at school like and um yeah just like pre billy elliot years but it was an amazing inspiring teacher and it became normalized so it wasn't kind of too odd a choice which is so rare i think but yeah it's really rare especially even when you get to sort of this age i'm in second year and i think there's maybe five people that identify as male in my year yeah about 45 of us wow yeah it's not many oh god no not many at all and there's a lot of choreographers that are male though i wouldn't say it's necessarily like a female dominated well there's at that level it's a very female workforce but historically there's been a lot of male leaders like and companies but i do think there's a kind of well i hope i feel like there's a shift happening and it's interesting just trying to navigate being part of an ecology but not um but trying to make space a platform other voices and to be consciously white cis male you know in a is so different from how it's been and to recognize i've been at the very privileged end of a kind of bias um but yeah wanting to kind of see how i can have a place but you know in a conscious way and part of a bigger picture um i think it definitely is shifting like having space for different people oh so dance in devon i'm in Devon in summer what should I do for you where should I go um okay so I have been running a thing called dance camp um in Cornwall the last yes so it was three days we're just trying to <laughs> we're just trying to work out how to do it because we don't have the funding that we had um so the and it's just super affordable like we've kept it at the 15 pounds a day for the workshop which becomes like 75 for a week so it's not this kind of like money making capitalist workshop running exercise that a lot of companies seem to support themselves with let's be fair it's just about running costs but um yeah to find something which is not um I guess exploitative for young dancers who think they might be able to kind of get a job or something like that I don't know like I I... interesting you mentioned like dancers going to things thinking oh maybe I can get a job and spend 
a thousand pounds and someone might hire me and things like that like a lot of that mm. yeah I don't I wonder why if people think it's like everything's a scouting opportunity I guess well I suppose it's like if you're a young graduate a lot of auditions are like minimum three years experience and I've just always found that really problematic and I think that you know there's there's maturity and there's experience and other different things but often I find younger dancers who are still in training who are like ready to work and I don't know that I don't know people who've been working for years and are problematic <laughs> so I'm like also a bit like I think auditions tell you about who can pick up material quickest I think it's a very hard way to find dancers so it's true that sometimes workshops I do open up your kind of awareness of who else is around um but also I'm trying to find active ways that I can be making opportunities to meet dancers that are not a really expensive workshop that, you know. Some workshops are so expensive. Oh my gosh. And also being in training and you look at other opportunities and you're like, thousand pounds. Who can afford it? I mean, who? yeah. I don't know who's going to these things. I think that's the, that's the real problem is becoming more, like you were saying in your email, like potentially elitist mm -hmm. and, assumes a certain level of income and privilege and you know it's how do we not just talk about that but make different conditions and make affordable workshops that are supported by organizations and make the argument to organizations that if they want stuff to happen and to support a freelance scene then they need to put their money where their yeah. mouth is because there's not much money from what well from what you I'm told I obviously haven't spent time as a professional dancer. I've done, you know, little one-off things, but there isn't much money to be made is what you're told a lot. Not much money to be made, not very secure, um, which I think is very daunting. It's quite scary. I don't know if that's something... I, I often wonder if it's, like, something that's... The, the top isn't given money. It's just not given money, so it can't go down. Or if it says people at the top deciding to stop the money going down, if if you catch a drift. Yeah, I think it's a lot of there's a lot of factors, and it's very hard to kind of summarize it into one thing. But I think that you know, in terms of employment for dancers, assumes that there's people running projects or companies that have got funding to employ them. And there's a lot of people who are not getting their funding at the moment, or it's become much more competitive than it used to be. So I'm really noticing at the moment that the effect of that is, I say trickle down, but like, no, I don't mean trickle down. I mean, like it's impacting those at the most vulnerable of the chain, if you like, which is dancers trying to sustain a freelance career. Um, and yeah, I think there's a lot of organizations who are struggling to fund the jobs within their organization you know which might be then require them to make choices that are going to bring in participation or like run more classes for public to kind of help bring income like i kind of i would yeah i really can't imagine what it's like to run a kind of organization dance organization at the moment because it's um yeah just must feel like it's on an on a knife edge um and your decisions impact so many people. Uh, I think that it's to do with choices that public make with their money. Like, have they got money to go to see a dance show in a rural venue? Like, the when you add in like food and childcare costs and travel, 
certainly in a rural area, people might be coming from an hour. Like it's really expensive very quickly. Um, so it's about ticket prices. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to sort get funding for a new project at the moment, um, which is, yeah, it just feels like uphill struggle. And I think that, you know, what feels daunting is, I guess, a kind of pragmatic, realist approach and people wanting to kind of go, you need to think laterally or be proactive or um, be resourceful, you know, to not assume that you're just going to like leap into a rep the dream rep company job which i think is how a lot of dance training institutions worked for a long time it was like assuming that there were lots of contracts at these random rep companies that don't exist anyway so there's a lot more kind of like independent i see a lot more independent practice training so that some might be able to kind of support a, a life with dance included in it whatever shape that takes rather than i am activated when I'm employed and then otherwise I don't know why I'm moving or what I'm doing with it so to I suppose the emphasis is a bit more on how can you yeah keep something going if that's what you love to do and it's also fine to not want to do it anymore like I don't kind of uphold kind of challenge this idea there's a kind of some kind of superior superiority of like all of my income comes from dancing and I don't have to take a cappuccino making job like it's all fine and whatever works for you and it's independent for everyone and assumes different kind of economic positioning or whatever so it's different for everyone but it's true that there's a lot less work around than when I was graduating and I think that yeah people are trying to give you a realistic snapshot of, of this scene at the moment which is not really thriving i would say to, to zoom out as wide as possible like the values of different cultures countries communities around what place the arts has the importance the cultural importance of art in our lives um and you know it makes me think about in the uk our history is you know, Shakespeare, vaudeville, music hall, pantomime. There's this sense of like theatre as a place to go and like escape, have a glass of wine, have a good night out and go home. You know, whereas in I'm being very, very literal, uh, very simplistic, but in other places I feel like there's a cultural sense of like, oh, that art exhibition was like difficult and challenging and I felt threatened by it or like confused by it and therefore it's valuable rather than I couldn't access that, that wasn't good work. You know, a kind of like small Britain mind. And and but I think it comes back to like what what values we're raised with or culturally in that place where you're raised, what where what place art has. And I think that we there's always an important argument to have to kind of fight for that, you know, fight for there's a there's a scheme in Bristol I saw the other day, um, some friends of mine are running called Um I love that. What is it? You know that you might have a kind of impulse towards something without it being explainable or understandable and that kind of obscure part of art and art thinking and making has always got to be kind of fought for because generally things become more, you know, dance 
has to be sexy and half naked and high legged to have a place or you know whatever we have to keep fighting for the experimental i think and i'm not someone who's like massively rad down that end of things but i know the importance of things that i've encountered which are a really broad spectrum so i think that's yeah it's like not associating scale with value I mean, this is kind of obvious stuff, but, you know, like something might be happening on a smaller scale close to you in a club night, which is like really important work and needs to be made and needs to be seen and witnessed. And to kind of recognize the value in that, not just the kind of larger commercial stuff. But it was weird, I realized, is that so many of us, I mean, it wasn't the case for me, but I see so many dancers, they saw NDT when they were 10 and they still hold on to this kind of like slightly... <laughs> dream of like that world because it's often what we we saw first because it's what could afford to come to our regional larger scale theater so people's introduction to dance is often very far from where they graduate once they've learned more about politics of the body or feminism or whatever it is you know i really relate to that i was like sort of matthew Bourne's most classical piece is like the first thing i saw and now i'm like so far away from yeah, that world. I think in probably in your second year, you go, I've got to let go of that thing that maybe got me here, actually, and register in yeah. the room and what's in 2023 and what that means for gender or whatever, you know, like think about that kind of that kind of work. I'm always so conscious of this divide. Um, but yeah, I think there's a, there's a letting go that has to happen through the training, maybe from that kind of ballerina kid dream, whatever it was, our version of that. Um, and how do you think, if we can at all, we can start to attempt to change the traje trajectory? I don't know how to say that word of the sector. Do you think it's really out of our hands? Do you think there's things we can do to bring more like power, power to the dance? Um, vote. Vote Labour. <laughs> yeah, like it's so much to do with like what governments prioritise. I mean, what... if Labour don't win this time, surely. I mean, I know there's lots of problems with how centrist Labour is, but like, yes, I prefer centrist than far right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't want either, but <laughs> with you, of course. Um. Yeah, I think that that is, you know, that that determines budgets and determines the argument for the arts as having intrinsic, this is the difference, like having intrinsic value that is valuable in and of itself, not because it attends to issues which should be more in kind of healthcare, I would say. At the moment, there's a lot of choreographers like making pieces about loneliness because it attends to the Arts Council remit, which attends to the DCMS remit, which attends back to government in terms of like allocation of cash and you know the value of arts because they can be instrumental to do something else but actually we have to fight the fight for them to be in and of themselves something which is a really key part of culture of our lives and how we connect and how we gather certainly in the place of dwindling religions you know it's like where else do we get together and think about the same thing and contemplate and reflect on ourselves so I'm really like passionate about that end of or the power of arts to do that. I mean, I just get the sense that the government are like, fewer artists, they all end up left wing. So I think that, you know, it's getting your, yeah, 
getting your votes in and maybe it you know just this kind of upholding of like oh i love the show because they were in such tight unison i'm like i don't give a shit <laughs> it just tells me about a really rigorous rehearsal process and i'm like good for them they can all get their legs at the same height but what does that tell me about anything like so work which is more improvisational based you know it's like rare to see that on large stages and i wonder if we're almost too late sometimes but hopefully not so i think yeah, to answer your question, it's like keep lobbying for the for the more challenging and appreciate that that speaks to some people in the way that something which is more neoclassical doesn't. You know, there's a community out there who want to see experimental film or, you know, like, I don't know, maybe I'm too romantic about kind of crossover audiences like that. But No, I don't think so. I think if something's accessible... Um dance has been around for years of course people are going to connect with it and if it's accessible they will yeah um, I don't think it's yeah so I feel like I feel like we've covered so much but we've covered it all have you got any sort of last bit this is so broad but last bits of advice for people building a career in the in this current climate we're in vote Labour <laughs> <laughs> there is that uh, I think it's, for me, something about looking sideways. So like looking at your cohort, looking at... Oh my gosh, there is so many people I work with that are maybe my age, a couple years older, that I just think, wow, this generation has got so much, so many amazing artists. And I think it's, just, I don't know, maybe again, it's a bit utopian, but like, the molds are irrelevant, so it's not about fitting into a mold. It's like make your own, smash them up, ask your different questions and try and find your audience or like-minded people. And even if that starts small, just to be um, patient and hold on to that kind of integrity. And yeah, and I think my only other bit of advice is like to question that uh, mute dancer thing of like, I think a lot of us maybe move because we don't really like there might be shyness or a difficulty with confrontation. If I think about acting students, maybe there's a bit more like let's go in hard and like figure this out and chew on this kind of like contrary feeling and what's in there. What's the juice? You know, with dancers a bit like, I'll just be over here showing you my moves, but I won't. I don't really want you to see me. Don't look at me. Just look at my dancing body. You know, to like to show up and be vocal and to be um to speak back and to kind of understand yourself and speak your mind and fight, find or fight for the places where that is valued rather than um, rooms full of people who are problematically participating in a power grab from a choreographer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it only has got to, it's got to change like on the ground where you are and don't stand for shit and know that you're only really eventually want to work in the place where that's understood to be something valuable otherwise you're perpetuating and participating in something which is problematic and i would always say like we need to look at power structures from the other end of things and who is getting funded who's getting supported and commissioned and are they problematic and who's asking how that work is made who's checking on how they run the studio there's a lot of abusive situations so i'm always trying to think about how that is attended to but also that dancers um yeah are take space 
you know unless that means starting a podcast and then don't there's already one <laughs> yeah yeah not room for it just listen to this no <laughs> sorry there's no more room <laughs> take space apart from in that way <laughs> brilliant <laughs> amazing brilliant i feel like we've covered a multitude of things it's been really interesting conversation yeah maybe you can slow it down to like point five speed so i'm not like blabbing too much no it's right my brain works that quickly if anyone's speaking slow i'm just sort of staring like <laughs> yes and next the perfect speed for my brain oh, lovely and if you're doing things in in the big old rural devon oh yeah love to be involved yeah brilliant i mean i've got facebook and instagram and a website yeah. that just finally updated uh, <laughs> information like that on it um so yeah yeah hopefully dance camp can happen i hope so too love to join beautiful let's go jump in the sea Woo! <laughs> have a lovely evening see you later you. thank you Thank you for listening to Flow with Flow. Episodes will be out weekly and you can find out more on the Instagram. Flossy, 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 spelt F-L-O-S-S-I. I hope you enjoyed and I hope you have a lovely week.